Hi, everybody. Welcome to our third episode of our wonderful podcast of Confessions of a PK. Right now, we have two of our favorite people ever here with us. We have Ed Petra and we have Jed. Uh, we've known them for a very long time. I don't know how long. But... All your life. <laughs> We go way back, all the way back to Ghana. Um, and they're here. Their father is Reverend um, Adakwa in Ohio. Um, it's a faith clinic. Mm-hmm. Yes. And uh, such a wonderful church. I love Reverend Adakwa. Shout out to him. Um, and while we're at it, can you guys introduce yourselves? Uh, we're going to start with Ed Petra, Esquire. <laughs> Thank you, girl. Hi, my name is Ed Petra Adakwa and... I'm a 28-year-old, just looking to serve the Lord. Um, so I'm Jed, Jedediah, JD, whatever works for you. Um, yeah, I guess I love, I I know I love serving the Lord also. <laughs> you, you guys are funny. You know you love serving the Lord. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> wow. Well, I'm Sam. I'm the co-host of this podcast. Um I am super stoked to be here with these amazing people. Now, when we say we've known, well, I've known Jed and Ed basically the entire life. It is true, because Jed and Dorcas were kind of born similar. We are the same same age. Age group. Me a little earlier. Yeah, just a little (laughs) early. You have to do that, really? And at some point, we lived in the same house um, for a little bit at some point in Ghana, and... So I've known, I still have pictures of Jed when he was a baby somewhere. Aww. So, wow. yeah, I see you do. But anyway, hey. We're not, we're not showing any of those, are we? <laughs> you never know. <laughs> hey, I want you guys to share with us a little bit. So as we said, you guys, you guys were PKs in Ghana and then moved to the United States. Um, kind of walk me through what that experience was like for you, being a PK in Ghana and being a PK in um in the united states uh jet let me start with you it was interesting at least to say the least i think the it was interesting kind of juggling two different um or multiple different things at the same time so the first thing was just kind of trying to assimilate into the culture of america you know yeah the culture shock of coming from um ghana to the bronx was you know it was it was very interesting because one the Bronx was not my idea of America coming here. Mm-hmm. You know, now I'm in Columbus, Ohio, so that kind of Columbus, Ohio, would be a little more closer to what I kind of pictured in some different, you know, in different ways. But the Bronx was not not at all what I was imagining coming here. So we got here. I think August 10th was the day, and then school started. You know, like a few weeks after. So I didn't, I don't think I had enough time to adjust to the neighborhood, to like you know where the corner store was, just like. You know, just America in general. And then we had to go to school. So, um, you know, trying to fit in at school, trying to, like, understand people. I remember I always tell the story of going to English class and I would literally go in and put my head on the table and just go to sleep because I didn't understand. Like, the teacher would talk and I couldn't hear, understand what he was saying. And when I talked, he couldn't understand what I was saying. So, it was just one of those where it's just like, and I, I, you know, a lot of people just think we don't speak English back home, but English is our main language and we actually are very proficient and very good. We took grammar and everything. So I spoke probably better English than overnight, at least over 90% of the school. But 
we just couldn't understand each other. So I literally just put my head down, go to sleep, but I had an A plus in the class. So the teacher wouldn't bother me. So that was the school aspect. And then church. Um, so part of that's part of why we came here was because of church and my dad getting transferred from Ghana here. So um, going to church was, I would say a lot more welcoming just because I was among Ghanaians. And so everyone was pretty, um, everyone it seemed like had been through that situation before at some point in time. So they were a little more understanding and kind of more welcoming. Um, and were very helpful in terms of trying to um, assimilate and, you know, become, become American or understand, you know, the way that things work here. So church was, I would say, a lot more. I don't remember any horror stories at all uh, from New York, from Ghana to church in New York because I was among Ghanaians, first of all. And then, um, you know, I think because of um, the fellowship of the brethren at church, everyone kind of was a lot nicer. Even if people wanted to bully you, they wouldn't, you know, <laughs> they wouldn't yeah, do it because right. it's church. You know what I mean? So I had, I could go tell on someone or, you know, and I was also the pastor's kid. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, that helped out a know, lot. Yeah, that, you know, no. <laughs> so I think church was a lot, a lot, a lot easier, a lot funner to kind of get, you know, my bearings a little bit. Um, you know, I can go into more detail wherever necessary, but that's kind of the basics of just, you know, coming here and trying to fit in and be an American kid, so to speak. Cool. Thank you. How about you, Esquire? <laughs> I definitely um, echo similar sentiments to Jed, but I definitely, for me, I'll say there are a lot of like similarities between, you know, living in Ghana as a pastor's kid and coming here as a pastor's kid as well. Like an example is like waiting for hours after church. Like, you know, like you, church is over and Preach. except you and whoever your parents are counseling and then you're you know, um it's just you guys i also feel like um we were also both we were encouraged in both places to you know take an active role in the church so like in ghana i'll say we were young because i was 10 years old when i came but you know we you know we were encouraged to participate in children's ministry and you know whatever was going on and here just started playing instruments i started singing and you know ushering or whatever um, was needed of me to, you know, um, help the church run and so forth. Um, I think another thing I'll definitely say was we, um, we were raised to kind of put up a front. So I feel like from a very young age, like, you know, you know, even in Ghana and here, like in Ghana, you, you know, there was just a certain way you had to behave when you were at church with, um, you know, members and it was similar here as well. Like, you know, so I think those are like similarities. I, I don't think that changed much. Um, so that's what I'll add to the conversation. Cool. Not so bad when you say we have to put up a front. <laughs> no, but I think in a way it's kind of true. Though. We can't. You just had a mask. You have to. Yeah, you can't be your true self yeah. sometimes because yeah, no, that's say something. Like I'll say, we've been here for years and with some of the same church members for what over fifteen years. I could say some of them don't truly know who we really are because. True. Yeah. We have to go and act a certain way, and that's just what it is. Yeah, I think the reason why our parents tell us that because they know their flock, and they know that um, certain things they're going to take it, they're going to twist it, mm-hmm. and then 
they're going to run with it. So it's like, okay, behave properly. Don't do this. Stand up in church, pray, do so they don't have, so we don't give them ammunition to use, basically. Yeah. It even goes um, a little switch where it's like, make sure your clothes are baggy enough or make sure, like, you know. It's not tight. It's not tight. It's not short. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. My mom would make me change. Like, she would make me change. First building, you can do whatever you want to do, but once you're in the church building, you need to make sure you comply with these rules, and that's yeah. just how it went. Yeah, that is that is yeah. You know, when you say the affront, then I I I, I immediately recognize with that because I'm older now, and I'm not even living at home anymore. But still, there are some definite um things like right before they started i got a text from mom remember to pray before you start (laughs) (laughs) you know so you know something some things never go away but judge he he says something part of the reason why you guys came to america was your dad uh was transferred here (laughs) now so i grew up you know your dad and my and our dad kind of where the pastors in a crop point together. And mm-hmm. and I think your dad was the first to transfer it out. And then my and then our dad transferred out too. And I remember I spent um, in secondary school in Ghana, junior secondary school, my first year was spent in three different schools. Like in Ghana mm-hmm. we have it's a trimester, right? It's not mm-hmm. it's not a, it's a trimester. So I remember spending each trimester in a different school. Wow. Walk me through walk me through this concept of you just living your life and then one day your dad comes and say, Hey, I get a call from Poppy and Time to go. Getting out of here. First of all, how does it and I guess both of you can answer this. How was it kind of dealing with that feeling of going to America and Yes, walk me through that feeling. I know you were only 10, Ed, but you still knew what was going on. Yeah, Ed, do you want to go or should I go? I'll go. You know, as it is in an African home, the oldest goes first, so go ahead. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a subject right there. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> so um, the funny thing is, so it was summer break, and we're, we usually used to go to Kumasi, for um, our summers and kind of spend time with our, our cousins and our grandma. So it was one summer we were, we just got there. I think we had spent maybe, I don't remember how long, but maybe a week or so or two at our grandma's. And then we were going to our cousins for the remainder of the summer. And like, I don't think we even got to go to our cousins. Um, I don't know if you remember, but I don't think we even got like, as we we're getting ready to go, my dad came to the house one time and he says, um, I have to go to America. So we literally just left like within a day or two went back to Accra. he got ready and he he came to america so he was here and that was the last time we saw him in ghana so he never came back and then next thing we know like we're getting ready to come to the u.s so <laughs> it was one of those things where like it wasn't it was it was sprung up in, in a sense, but it was kind of bittersweet because it's kind of like yeah, America, you know, like I'm going to America. But then, as it got closer and closer, you realize like you know what's been happening to my friends and like I remember at church when we had the send off, um, and 
I think I think we cried. I think I remember definitely remember some of my friends crying and like I remember saying, you know, like we'll be back, like, you know, we'll be back very soon. Like we're not going, you know, forever. And I've never been back to Ghana, but <laughs> 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 I remember, you know, doing everything we could to make that, like, that situation as, you know, not as happy as it could be. Because on one hand, we're going to America to a better place, more opportunity. But then on the other hand, we're leaving our life behind. And even though we kept saying that in the back of our minds, it was one of those things where it's like, am I coming back? You know, like, I don't I have no idea what I'm going to see. Like, unless you come to America, I don't know. You know, so... I think it was a mix of feelings that, you know, um, it was, it was at one point in time when we found out we're happy. And then as it got closer, it was like, you know, wow, I'm getting ready to leave my friends at school, my best friends, some of my best friends, closest friends at church. I'm probably not, uh, never going to see you guys again, or at least it'll be a while. I don't know what life been. And it's interesting that at 12 years old, you're thinking these things, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you're not really, you don't know what life has in store, but you're still thinking about all these things that the future holds, the future hold, And, you know, what's going to happen, but um, it was definitely bittersweet, you know, probably sweet before, and then it got more so better as it got closer, and then, you know, we got on the plane. For me, I think I had a different experience than yours. Mine was, I was excited all the way, because I was eight when I came, but, you know, in all honesty, you guys were our, our only friends, so, like, I wasn't sad leaving Ghana, because... Mm-hmm. I didn't have that people around me to miss. So it was like, oh, we're going to America? Let's go. First plane out. And that's exactly what, like, I did not mind leaving Ghana. Um, Going back, people like here, people are like, you've never been back? Oh, my goodness. And I'm like, it didn't take anything away from me not to go back. But in all honesty, I'm glad I went back. But it's all good. (laughs) How about you, Ed? What, what, What were your experience like? I think mine is similar to um, Dorcas's in that I was super excited to be leaving. I knew I'd miss my friends, but I've always been someone who easily makes friends. So I was like, okay, well, I'm like, forget them. I'll make new ones. <laughs> I'm going to miss them. And if I don't see them again, you know, I'll initially when I know going, I remember thinking, okay, I could write up letters and so forth. But realistically, we got here and I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Who's doing that? <laughs> we got time for that. No, but the thing is, though, like, once you got here, it's kind of like there's so many things on your mind that you have to deal with here. Exactly. That, like, that adjustment alone is, like, enough, you know. It's like, wild. Not to say, yeah, not to say you forget them, but a lot of things just kind of go to the side and just keep going and just keep going. And it's like, you know, mm-hmm. it's three months, it's going to be weird. And it's been a year, like, five years now. I can't hit them up now. you like, 10 years now, I definitely can't hit them up, you know, and just. <laughs> and I mean, like you said, Jed, we came and I think within like a few weeks or so, we started school. So I mm-hmm. think that alone was a huge adjustment, like, you know, trying to understand what the teacher said, dealing with people making fun of us because we had accents, like, you know what I mean? So I think it was so much yeah. that like being in a new place was very different. But I would say, though, that because like one, shortly after we were there, what maybe like a year or so later is when we um, moved to Ohio. And I'll say that was definitely a lot different. I felt like that one hit me a lot more. And that one, I was like, oh, my, I was just adjusting to this new place I'm calling home. I'm starting to like the place. And I remember first time we got to Ohio, I um, we got here late at night. So I remember I in the morning, I looked out the window and I'm like, grass, like, <laughs> 
Because <laughs> we were living in New York. Like, we There's no grass. Yeah. Quiet. And I know for me, I was like, no, I really don't like this at all. But it was like, hey, duty calls your dad got transferred out there. So that's what you got to do. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's, it's very interesting because, you know, thinking back to how my experience is kind of like Dorcas and, and Ed, too. Um, I didn't we didn't really have many friends in Ghana. We didn't have friends um, apart from yeah. the darkest. We didn't have many <laughs> friends in Ghana. And I remember the Sunday that um, they, they sent us off. You know, Papi called us in front of the whole church. And I kid you not, people act like they were my friends mm-hmm. who I never thought were my friends. Like, I remember there, there's one particular girl. She's she's good looking. And I had a little bit of crush on her. And she would never talk to me. And that day after church, she spent the whole afternoon. You know how as a PK, you stay last, right? <laughs> so she stayed the whole time after church with me just talking. And and I I, I felt, I was like... That's weird. Weird. You know, <laughs> of course. Just because of America? Well, that's the thing, too, because, you know, like, like Ed said, you know, in your mind, you're like, I'm going to write, I'm going to call, you know, there's phone cards, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And then you get here. Now, for us, I would say about 80% of our family were already here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we didn't really like my grandpa was here, all my aunts and uncles. On and our my, mom's on side. My mom's side. We're here, so we have family here. So we got here, and it was like we have a community. So who, who are we gonna call? Yeah, who are we writing letters yeah. to. But, but then, yeah. but then also, you know how things are back home in Ghana, where um, everybody knows if you know someone in in America, they're rich. So the first few times I called my friends, it it kind of got uncomfortable because they were asking for, can you send me a calculator? Can you send me a pen? Can you send me this? And I was like, man, I'm broke here. What are you talking about? <laughs> like, so, so it kind of got a little uncomfortable for me to be like, uh, I don't know if I want to call you because the disappointment of me saying no to you was hard for me to say, and I'm sure it's hard for you to hear. So definitely one of the uh, yeah. So anyway, that that was that was the experience. How long were y'all in New York for? About a year and a half ish. Oh, so a year and four months. A year and a half. really yeah. Because we got there August and left. As we and then the December thirty first. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> really? Because it seems longer. Because like I know guys, longer. Because <laughs> you guys came over and, uh, to our house, like, I think during the summer for a sleepover for, like, I think it was, like, a week or two weeks. And then after that, like, it seemed like a lot longer than just a year. I agree. It does wow. a lot longer, for sure. Yeah. Hey, Jed, I know Ed already mm-hmm. talked about the differences in New York and Ohio. What's the, what's the differences in New York and Ohio for you? So it's it's weird always like mentioning this, but for me, again, coming from Ghana to here, I was surprised by the amount of black people that were in New York because mm-hmm. Ghana, thinking about America, that's not, I don't like, and it was Jamaicans. It was a lot of Jamaicans, a lot of Caribbean, a lot of Latinos. So 
you know, that was just something that was shocking to me because I'm always observant of things, a lot of different things, but people, you know, like I, I'm always a quiet one, you know, seeing. So I was just like, I'm in the background and I watch. And like the one thing that I was expecting was, you know, I just thought America was, you know, it was more white people than black people, you know? And so that was the Bronx. And then we got to, so that's why I say when we got to Columbus, it made more sense. Columbus was more like, oh, okay, this, this, the Bronx oh, yeah. was, yeah. yeah, the Bronx was an anomaly. That was, you know, it, but it's one of those things when I was there, I didn't realize that that was very, very different from a lot of places in the U.S. in general. It just seemed like this was, this is the, the only America I know. Yeah. You know what I mean? And every time I left the Bronx, I came to New Jersey to you guys. So mm-hmm. it was Africans and, you know. So, <laughs> it was Africans <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> yeah. So in my mind, I was just like, oh, man, you know, America is, you know, it's interesting, you know, don't, and then. Don't go to Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. My second home, so, play though. <laughs> I knew she was gonna say something. So I, I remember another thing that I think because of, the, of how bad our school in the Bronx was, I also got to experience. So I always we had we had to go through metal detectors every single morning before we entered the building. This was a middle school. Uh-huh. Every single morning we had to go through metal detectors, and obviously that's very different from most schools in America. So Thank when God I got to too. exactly, exactly. So when I got to Columbus. I remember I went to school, came back, and my dad asked me, like, how was school? And he always tells this story because he was shocked. And I was, I still remember to this day, I was like, oh, it's nice. You know, I was just, all I kept telling him was how organized it was. Like, mm. I told him, like, the classrooms that they don't use, the tables are all, like, arranged and, like, you know, flipped up neatly. Like, it's just, it was crazy to me because that's not how Bronx was. The Bronx was, like, if we were able to get 10 minutes of class time, then, like, we did a good job. You know, wow. So that was, oh, yeah, the Bronx was, it was one of those things where I'll never, ever necessarily choose to live there, but I was glad that I got that experience. Mm-hmm. You know, so going to Ohio was just, um, I think it was, it was, it was, it was, it was different. That's one, that's the easiest way to put it. It was different in the sense that I was exposed to a lot more, um, you know, I kind of got a little more interested in sports. It seemed like there were a lot more opportunities just because of the school that I, the, the school I was at, you know, compared to the school that I was at in the Bronx. And then um, just the, the mode of transportation, you know, there's a lot of the trains and the public, you know, transportation. Granted, I didn't take a lot of that in, in New York, but I walked to school, you know, whereas in Columbus, I had to take a bus, you know. So it was just one of like, it was like, what, 30, 40 minutes of church every Sunday and that's the other thing. Church in New York was also like at night. It was like at mm-hmm. eight o'clock or something like that. So oh, yeah, it was yeah. at it was night. Just, yeah. So it was just weird going to church. And then like we come back at like 1130 and, you know, like you want to eat and do things. And like my mom's like, nope, you got school in the morning. Like, go to school. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, like, can we like, how is this like, OK, that church is this time? You know, but the building that we're using, was we had to use it at, at that time because, you know, it was for a different church. And so going to Columbus was different in the sense that things seemed to be um, almost normal because I can't tell you that like I got transferred to a different class in Bronx but before I was in the worst class possible in the school so we didn't learn much that's why I'm I, I literally could put my head down go to sleep and I had an A class in the class wow. A plus in the class so Ohio was a lot more normalized and more typical of what you get in America versus you know the Bronx and I didn't know that until I came here and I was like started to kind of after a while, I realized that New York was the anomaly. That was that was very the Bronx wasn't necessarily 
you know, more typical of the U.S. So um, talking about school and the experiences that you've had, um, did you guys meet any American PKs that you became like friends with? Because I know it's hard for me to find some. Like apart from you guys, I didn't really meet like a lot of American PKs until like college, around college. Even in college, I feel like I didn't meet a lot of PKs. Like every now and then someone would be like, oh yeah, they're a PK too. But I, but like I didn't have any that were my friends. So. Yeah. How about you? I don't think I had, I don't think I had any PK friends, honestly. Um, I think, <laughs> I think being a PK in Ghana is more of a big a thing than here. Because here it's just kind of like, oh, your dad's a pastor. Like, there's the expectation is different once you step outside of the church society. Whereas in Ghana, like, you know, you you're can PK go everywhere to the store, yeah. And like, as soon as people find out, like, hey, you're 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 your dad, you know, it's just like, <laughs> it's just like, how how are you acting like this? And your dad's a pastor, you know. Back home is just different, you know. Yeah. Whereas here, like in school, like no one even mentions that my dad. It's almost like. Like my dad, the pastor, what's that guy do with me? You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Whereas, like back home was like that. Just like you got like the PK was just like a title that was like you have to act differently. Like I remember one of my teachers always used to say like the PKs are the worst because there was this one girl. All the PKs that I knew in Ghana were very troublesome. You know, like, for some reason it, was, it just so happens they were troublesome. Yeah. So the teacher always used to say like PKs always you know are the worst of you know the rest of the bunch and you know I was good but. There weren't many of us that were like quiet and respectful. The rest of them, you know, it was just different. Well, so here's my question to that, right? Mm-hmm. I've always, I'm one of those people that I personally do not like that at all when people say that. But, for the worst. Yeah. But my question is do you feel like because we're PKs, even the least thing we do get amplified? So, like, like, take me for example, growing up, I thought I was a bad kid Aww. because my mom would be like, I'm growing up. Don't step out this door. And you step out the door. And I would step out the door. <laughs> right. And I get beat for it. Right. And so people would see that like, oh, you're disobedient. And in Ghana, disobe- I mean, everywhere, disobedient was kind of like really bad mm-hmm. thing. And then I came to the United States and I'm talking to other people. And I would tell them the story, and they're like, that's not being a bad kid. That's just being a kid. <laughs> right? But then some of the PKs I know here in America, mm-hmm. when they say PKs are bad in America, mm. PKs are bad in America. You know what I mean? Like, I'm talking yeah. about, I'm like, drinking, promiscuity, like all of, like, mm-hmm. if, can you imagine if I come home with alcohol breath my, in Ghana? Sneaking out. Yeah, he said don't come home. That is true. <laughs> that is so true. So do you think do you think that when people say in Ghana, when you say what well, the PKs are the bad, is it because that maybe we acted the same as any kid our age, but there was an expectation to be I don't say perfect, but perfect. Close to perfect. In all honesty. I think 
it's not just Ghana. I think it's also here because I remember one time at church, my mom always told the story where the kids were, you know, when you're younger, the kids are running around in church after church, right? And Jude was also doing the same thing. And if somebody, they're going to tell Jude to stop running because he's a pastor's kid. And my mom literally told him, leave my kid to be a kid. You know, like let let him do what kids do. So I don't think it's necessarily just a location thing. I think it's just like um like a church thing. Mm. You know what I mean? I think it's just in every church they expect the PKs to act differently because your father is preaching, saying all these things. So you should be following when they don't understand that what your pastor is preaching is a Christian thing, not just a like um, a preacher's kid thing. So whatever he's yeah. preaching, you should also be doing the same thing. That standard in which you're holding up for me, you should also hold that for yourself. So that's my take on it. You guys have any take on that before we move on? I definitely agree with you, but I don't know if it's maybe because of the church we were in, but I also feel like a lot of the um, people didn't have, a lot of people who like, like complain necessarily didn't have kids our age. They had kids that mm-hmm. were younger. Mm-hmm. So um, they just kind of expected that by our age, we had to be pristine and we just had to be like, you know, these great kids were not supposed to talk back. Like, I remember I went somewhere and this was me probably like maybe five years ago. And it was like some wedding reception and this man who doesn't even go to our church, but he knows my father and so forth. He came up to me and was like, um, can you get my food for me? And I'm like, oh, oh. No, no. I remember, I remember that story. <laughs> no, no, sir. <laughs> I was like, no, like for one, I'm grown, right? Two, like the way you're asking me, like, why am I getting your food and you have two legs, two hands, just like me? To scoop the food, come on. I love that. And he kind of like said it in a threatening way. I'm like, my parents are right there. Like, go say whatever you want to say to them. I'm not getting your food. Like, you're a grown man. Told him that? You, you didn't get his food? No, actually. I'm, I would not have gotten his food. I'd be like, I'm so sorry, sir. Thing, I see, can't. So let me ask Jed. Would you have uh, getting him the food if he asked you? I, I was gonna say I probably would have got the food. <laughs> because here's the thing. Here's the thing. You know why? Firstborn child. Nah. Yeah. I would have gotten that food. Yeah, I would have got the food. I would have been salty. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You'd have been talking all the way to the buffet table. He would have been my worst enemy. I'd be like, you're not my friend from because of this. <laughs> it was kind of like I have this authority over you because you're a pastor's child, so I'm telling you to do this. And I remember at one point I asked him like, why can't you get your food? And he said the line was long and he didn't feel like standing in there. And I looked at him like, because your PK kids cut the line. I literally told him, I'm going to get my food, and I guess you must not be hungry because <laughs> that's not what I'm doing. I love that. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my God. Like, I think, uh, yeah. you know, think it would have been different if it was just, hey, um, do you mind getting my food when you get yours mm. or whatever it is? But talking to me as if you have some type of authority because I'm a pastor's child. The expectations, yeah. Expected you to do it. So, you know, as, as you guys were talking about that, I keep thinking back to another aspect of all of this, right, that sometimes get lost in it, is this is also the, I want to say African, but this is also the Ghanaian culture thing, right? No matter if you're a PK or not, sometimes 
someone older than you tell you to do something, you do it, right? Because one, in our culture, everybody older than you is your uncle or your aunt, right? Everybody, everybody your age or younger is your cousin. Like it's, it's like it's like Ghana. We're all one big family, <laughs> right? It's uncle, it's aunt. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uncle, aunts, cousins, and grandpas. That's all we have mm-hmm. over there. So when someone say that, like, for me, I didn't really. Okay, so I didn't really grow up in the in the American house of faith. Uh, because when we came to America, you guys left for Virginia. I stayed in Connecticut and I went to school. And then I kind of cut my path and went off. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, but coming back and but then also I came back and I, be, I came back as a pastor. So this was Pastor Sam. So but there was still that sort of feeling that, oh, my gosh. Uh, you're doing this. I better go help. Right? It was like innate because I remember back in Ghana, you were too young in Ghana in a cropon. I think I was like seven years old or what, whatever. And uh, guys were not even pretty, probably born yet. And I will, I will help with all the instruments and then I'll play the Marrakesh and then I'll learn how to play the drums and I'll play the conga. It, it was it was something that was like that never said you need to do this. It was more like I looked around and I looked at the culture and I said, I think I need to do this. And then it became an expectation that, mm-hmm. oh, this is what he's going to do. This is what he's going to do. So it, it's very interesting, you know, kind of talking about being a PK and some of the expectation that come with that. But as Ghanaians, it makes it a bit harder because we have the culture, the culture built in that when an adult tells you to do something, you do it. And if you don't do it, you're in trouble. Now, the problem is you get in more trouble if you're a PK and you don't do it. You know, a regular kid will get in trouble, but the trouble that you will get into is even worse because while an ordinary kid, another kid, We'll probably get a spanking or a yelling. You're gonna get a spanking. You're gonna get a sermon preached to you, mm-hmm. and you probably might end up in hell because you did some <laughs> bad, right? It's one of those, it's just kind of one of those experiences where whatever every kid experienced as a PK, you experience it more because the expectations was even mm-hmm. a lot more on you. Yeah. Um, so kind of go back to that whole, did you guys ever get like a conversation, like a talking about how to date, especially maybe when you're about to head off to college or anything? No. <laughs> I, I agree with her. <laughs> uh, did, you, did you say no? Yeah, no, at least I didn't yeah. have experience, but I did not. Um, I just... I feel like it kind of was expected that we knew what the right way was and we were going to follow the right way. So um, obviously growing up, we were, you know, we got the education about it. Like, you know what I mean? We knew what could happen, what could not happen. Um, But I think um, also what was different is they also backed it up with like, you know, biblical, um, the Bible, right? So like they'll go into soul ties and they'll go into, um, you know, 
um, things like that. And I think that helped, but in terms of what to do when you're at that stage, it mm-hmm. was the conversation that we had. For me, I didn't have a conversation either. Like you were saying, like in, as you're growing up, they tell you, you know, what to do, what not to do, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable, what you can only do in marriage, all of that stuff. But because I'm not going to lie, because I felt because I was a female, I felt as though I couldn't because I didn't get a talk or anything that it was like I got the or were to, was told you have the right to go date. I didn't really date because I'm like, um, I don't know if I should. But then when I you know, saw that Jude started dating, I think it was freshman year, correct me if I'm wrong. And I'm like, hold up, what? <laughs> Parents were so accepting. I was like, wait, he can date as a freshman. <laughs> but for me, it was almost like, wait, I, like, I, didn't, I couldn't understand I t- I t- it. Are you talking about freshman in high school or freshman in college? In college. Okay. You know, so what happened if you if you dated? The thing is, I I know I would have gotten a lecture. I know I've gotten a lot of questions. What church does he go to? What does he do? And then it's like you can't be asking a million questions the first time you meet a guy, you know. And then my dad, well, back not gonna lie, daddy would say, "Why not?" Exactly. Why not? And, and maybe because I'm a dad now, but why can't you? My thing is, it's, I feel like it's the first time you're meeting somebody. So that's where you, you get, get to in, know them. No, no. Yeah. But you're getting to know them. But like the first day, what church you go to? When did you give your life to Christ? Like all of that stuff. I mean, like, those are the, basic questions. If you I know. But those. I know. But for me, in the course of talking, like then it will come up. So if I find out, and the thing is, for me personally, it comes up really early. I ask you early in my book. It's like within a month, if I don't find the questions, the answers in which I'm satisfied with, I'm good. You know, like I have no problem cutting you off. But I didn't date freshman year because I was like, well. <laughs> All right. Sorry. Don't all yourself. What are you going to say, Ed? <laughs> Hold on. I feel like I we, should, we should explore that. <laughs> let's see I what just, Ed has I, to say. I wait, just wait. had a thought. That's why I had a I'm thought. Just playing. I'm just... Let, let's see what Ed has to say. I have a question, right? So I'll ask my question first. And um, I guess my is from the way you're speaking, you shared everything with your parents. Me? I shared everything with my parents? It sounds like, right? Because you said they would be upset. But why not just date, but like do what you're supposed to do? Because, um... Man, them fighting words, I, man. Because I thought that dating at that age 18 mm-hmm. was wrong. Mm. Based off of what like I have been um t- like taught so it's like the correlation and everything uh, y'all see Jude <laughs> but uh <laughs> but um I don't when see Jude, Jude on my end so I don't know what's going on but when Jude went off to college and then you know I think that's when like he met um Asia and again Jude was 18 and it was okay I was like wait why is it okay for him and it wouldn't have been okay for me. It was just like the different responses in which I was getting from my parents that kind of like made me kind of conclude that, okay, I shouldn't date at 18. I should wait till probably like 21 or 22. 
And then that's when I'll tell them, oh, this guy told me he liked me. And then the question, is he a Christian? What church does he go to? And, and then that's when the question, and I'm like, wait, just met a dude like two weeks ago. Like, like give me a minute. But yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess for me, I would say though that like, I knew that I was never going to bring or mention a man thing to my parents unless that's someone who I seriously am considering for marriage. Because at the end of the day, I know what their expectations are. I know what my worth is and I know what the quality in which I want to bring is, right? So for me, I'm not even going to waste my time or my energy going back and forth with you about who this person is because it's irrelevant. That's not what I'm getting to. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I mean, if we're being realistic, like, because I know um, Sam said, well, why can't you ask those questions on the first day? Let's be real. Like, we were at an age where sometimes you want to be cool, too. You don't want to come up as, like, you know, that person. And No, I'm saying at that age, at 18 yeah. old, like, right yeah. now, older. So it's easy for me to meet someone and quickly dig into that. But, like, at 18 years old, you just look, have fun. you're telling me you've always been a saint and you've always just cared about, like, you know what that person read and what, you know, they learned from the Bible that morning, you're lying because. (laughs) (laughs) Preach, say for the people in the back. (laughs) I mean, especially at that age, 18, we're away for the first time. Like, I'm not going to, like, to me, I'm not about to scare off everybody I meet because like. Mm -hmm, Exactly. You want to be cool too. So like, I think now that we're older, it's hundred percent acceptable, but at that age, no. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm not afraid of gold. Here's something. Jed has been awfully quiet this entire time. <laughs> and, he thought, and he thought I was I wasn't gonna catch up. <laughs> Why were you quiet, I mean, Jed? Because I was letting you guys talk, you know. Mm-hmm. But for me, one so like Ed said, like my parents, I think they just assumed that we knew in terms of like relationships and like sexual things in general. I think like my parents never asked if I was a virgin till like years after college, you know what right. I mean? Cause I think it was just one of those and we we're having a conversation and just came up, you know, but I don't know if it was cause it was weird or it's cause they just, I think part of it, a lot of it was, this, was, was that they just knew or assumed that we knew because for me, I think one thing that I can credit my parents with and I thank them a lot for it. I think they were very open in talking about, like, if I had a question, they would answer it, even if it regarded, like, sex or whatever the case is, to their best, to the best of their ability. So going into college, I was very, very, very weary. I was, I knew a lot about the spiritual world. And then, like Ed mentioned, like, soul ties and just, you know, and also just, like, I was very wary of just, like, being involved with anyone who could be, like, a witch or whatever. Because, you know, it's just one of those things. You that, never like, know. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> only an African like, PK would think about that. In all honesty, only a <laughs> PK would really think, oh, this person might like, be a witch. <laughs> yeah, I ain't finna sleep with a witch just because, like, you know. So, like, when I went to college, like, and I think my parents also we i was very interested in the spiritual world from a very young age we talked a lot about that and like you know that kind of thing so that's one thing that for me like kind of helped like i was very very anti like relationships or girls or any of that kind of thing for a long time because i told god like don't show me who my partner is until i'm graduated from college because i just didn't want to get involved with that but i also knew it was one of those things where 
if I meet, I, I was never ever going to date or get involved with a, a girl until, unless I knew she was going to be my wife. Because like one, I think people underplay how much time and effort relationships take in general. It doesn't matter whether you're in high school, like it's just time, effort, and wow. emotion that I don't necessarily want to get involved with, you know, and I don't think I was as emotionally um, available as or expressive as I am now where before like even showing emotion was not something that I was um, very um, like and money yeah <laughs> exactly you said so in money like, yeah <laughs> so like so I don't think I was I was even looking towards like spending that kind of energy when I was in college or in any of that so I think the combination of all those things helped me like just stay away from that you know I just focused on school and track and you know, pretty much, you know, God, and that was it, you know, and yeah. I think that kind of helped me a little bit as it pertains to that. That's good. How about That's you, good. Sam? What about me? <laughs> I know you're married, but like in college. Man, um, I did not, I did not date until I met Carissa. What are you talking about? That is a lie from the pit. I'm about to say, I don't believe that. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, dating was, dating was a very, interesting concept to me because it's about to get real up in here in a second i was okay i was really afraid of women um like i was like i i got nervous around girls so awkward very awkward and very so i didn't know what to do like i wasn't emotionally matured enough so I got to see someone I like. I'm like, I like her. And that would be the end of it. Because I was mm-hmm. like, I ain't going to talk to her. And it's actually funny. You can you can actually ask mom. <laughs> she got really mad at me one time. I think I was 19 or 20. I think it was 20. When I called her, I told her that I'm, I don't want to get married. Um, and she got really, really mad and gave the phone to dad. You don't tell that to an African so, parent. Um, well, because I, like, I honestly didn't. If you ask any of my friends in college, they would tell you that the idea of marriage was not really something that I was high on. I was not like when you look at our friends group. No one expected me to get married because. Why though? Well, so. There is this idea that I'm flirtatious. But you're just being nice. But it's because I'm nice, because as a black man growing up in this culture, and I went to a school where there's a lot of white girls around. And so I I immediately realized that for me to talk to white women, and I also found out that I had, I, I would name it, I found people with fairer skin, like something I liked, but I couldn't approach them. So, but I learned that to talk to them, I had to be like, hey, how are you? So, hey, how are you? Right? <laughs> if you said that to me, I would be like, Ooh. Exactly. Okay. But so, so I'll come to the conversation like, what's up? How are you doing? And that came all flirtatious. But you were just trying to ease yourself into the conversation. Exactly. So because of that, people thought I was... I was not a player because I didn't really do anything because the girls, so girls thought I was cool enough to be friends with. I was, I was the guy that they come to, to complain about the other guys, the the guy. 
Oh, that is sad. I am so but, sorry. I know, friend zone. <laughs> but, but to guys around me, they thought I was doing something with them. You know what okay. I mean? So the guys around me Perfect didn't know. To be in. Well, not really. That's a Christian PK. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, <laughs> you don't have to do anything because you got. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. You don't have to do anything. Yeah, the guys think you got it, and the girls are like, "No, nah, he's harmless." Like, you know. I know. <laughs> I, I I cannot tell you how many times you know I comforted girls because they were crying and because the guy was mean to them and this and that. Mm-hmm. So when I first met someone that I felt comfortable enough to have a conversation with. And she reciprocated that. It was was totally different. Um, I would like to say that I prayed about it and I felt God say this is the girl for me. I didn't, uh, but because it's the first person to show any type of okay, Affection. yeah. So we started going out, and I remember mom. It's actually guys. So I didn't start really dating until. I was about to graduate from college. When you guys came to my graduation, she was there. All right, I remember. Yeah, and mom did not like that, right? And and not not because I was dating. I think she didn't like that because she knew she wasn't a Christian. She was Catholic, right? <laughs> but she wasn't a Christian. So, I mean, it wasn't until like, I moved to California and I started seminary until I finally, I met someone that I think dad actually really liked because dad met her when dad came and visited me, met her and she, she was a pastor and she had this long conversation with dad for like all through, I had to, I, had, I, I used to do church service from my house in, in, in LA. So dad happened to be there that day when I preached and, you know, stuff like that. So I had to drive someone, one of my students back to their home. So I left Lindsay and my and dad together. And I came back and we were having like a full-blown conversation. And when I when I, I dropped Lindsay off, she was raving about my parents. So I think that was the first girl that I brought home brought home that my parents were like, all right, you got it. But that didn't work out. And then I met Carissa and everything. For one thing for me though, my parents, whenever I like, when I seriously started to date, because for me, I don't believe in dating for fun. I believe like date with a purpose, date with marriage as a goal. So when I brought like the first guy home, my parents were like, okay. My parents would say, okay, but just no one believe they're also praying and they are expecting me to pray. And their prayer is if this person is not the one, God take him away and trust and believe the Lord will take them away. So, um, like I'm glad from, uh, to my parents for that, because even when I didn't pray, I know that for sure. Like past relationships, there were somewhere I didn't pray at all. I kind of was like, I'm just going to go for the ride. It's going to be okay. I'm, I'm glad my parents prayed because if not, I would have ended up in a situation where I did not want to be in, you know, and it snatched me out of, you know, things that would have, um, it, it would have stopped my destiny. And, you know, and one thing, though, 
my, my parents and I were having this conversation the other day where somebody was like, oh, he's a pastor's kid. He's okay. We can date him. And then I'm like, not all pastor's sons are, you know, godly. And that's another thing where I feel like people think that pastor's kids are, um, because they're pastor's kids or they're Christian, they're all good. But sorry, everybody. That's not really true. The ones that I do know, Jed, my brothers, you know, they're all cool, but there are some where they also use that title of being a pastor's kid. No, you're just saying Jed because he's right here. You know he's not good. Come on. <laughs> I know. No, no. I know. Look, I know Jed is good. Like, I know Jed is, is cool, but um, like, I just want people to be aware that just because a person has a pastor's kid attached to them, you still got to pray about it because not because my mom told me a story about this woman. I don't know if I can say this, but who she was about and to get don't married. Don't say it. No, it's a story. She told me a story. She didn't mention names of this um, woman who was about to get married. They spent money, wedding dress, everything is set. The day before the wedding, God told her he wasn't the one. And he was a preacher's kid. When my mom told me that, because I'm not going to lie, I really thought I was going to end up with a pastor's son. But after my mom told me that story, I realized, oh, okay. It's not, pastor's kid is not like the only men that there are. There are other men too. So that helped. Thank you, mom. That helped out. Like that's, not, that's not a measure of someone's Christianity or, you know, yeah. relationship with, with God or Jesus. Like, no, oh, they use kid. that. They use yeah. that as a measurement. Oh, yeah. he's a preacher's kid. Oh, he, he can sing. He can play the drums. A preacher's kid that can play an instrument. Every woman wants that. There's been times um, in my life where, like, I was a PK, but I was like, <laughs> Look, you know what? <laughs> That's true. Every PK I know plays an instrument. I don't think or, I've met a single PK or who doesn't sing play or sing. Or sing. So That's hey, true. all right. So here's my here's my last question. It's not really a question, but. Being a PK has its ups and downs and its challenges. And I think all of us here, all six of us here right now, have been through it. And and I honestly believe that we have we've been through a lot in our lives and we've come through the end looking really good. My question, uh, well, my my exhortation, can you give advice? to any other PKs, especially the young PKs who are listening to this, who are probably going through the pressures of being a PK, uh, the expectations being placed on them, whether it's duly or unduly pressure put on them, how can they get through life and how can they become successful in their journey, in, in Christ, in their own personal journey, how to be able to cut a path for themselves in this world. So any advice for them? Anyone of you can start. I would honestly say live your true self, be your authentic authentic self. Just make sure that, you know, you're always keeping God first. Yeah, I think, honestly, this is something that I always think because so on one hand, I'm very, very, very blessed. I think there are certain things that I know and certain experiences that I've had that I, w- I don't know if I would have had if I wasn't a PK, especially me being who I am. And mm. like, I always just had a very experimental, 
not necessarily rebellious, but like I always want to find out for myself, you know. So I think there's an aspect of being raised raised in the kind of home that I was raised in that was very, very helpful in terms of helping me avoid certain pitfalls and certain um, um, things that life brought. But ultimately, I think if this is something that I had I known earlier, I would have made life easier in that. Forget the PK title. You know what I mean? Like if you're always, as long as your first and main goal is developing your relationship with God, I think everything else will take care of itself. You know what I mean? And personally for me, I think growing up and it's difficult as a, as a kid, you're always trying to fit in, right? You always, I remember very, getting very, 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 very irritated when someone would always say like, oh, pastor, pray for us, you know, or like, oh, you know, if you're a pastor's kid, you know, like they'll say like, oh, like you don't do that, right? Because you're your, your dad. And I, I remember at some point, a phase in my life when I was a teenager and trying to be like everyone else, I used to get very irritated when people would say that because I'm like, yeah, what does that have to do with me kind of thing? And, you know, I realized that it's one of those things that, you know, sometimes I think can be a hindrance if you think about it too much and kind of like you almost want to, it almost, I think sometimes fuels the rebellion that we see in PKs because it's kind of like I want to distance myself as far away from that title as possible because I don't know about you guys, but for the longest time, I always used to say I'll never, ever, ever be in ministry. You know, not, not to say that I want to be in ministry now, but... Before, like, if you just mentioned ministry, like anything about pastor ministry, like I'll do everything I could to so people don't label me as a pastor or people don't label me as like, you're going to be a pastor, you're going to be in ministry. But without realizing, but in doing that, in doing those things, I was also hurting my relationship with God in a sense. You know what I mean? And so I would say the advice I would give is just focus on your relationship with God. Once, if that's the biggest priority and that comes first, Everything else, the rest of the things won't even matter, honestly. Everything else will kind of shift and kind of take place, take take care of itself, in a sense. Thank you. Thank you very much. Really appreciate you guys joining us today and sharing your experience with us. Um, appreciate you having us. Uh, of course. Uh, do you guys have anything you want to plug? You maybe want to plug your church a little? Yes. So, um... Faith Clinic, it's in Columbus, Ohio, located on Carl and um, uh, Dublin Granville, and is a multicultural church, and you will be blessed. So come stop by. Cool. Do you guys have, uh, are you guys doing like virtual church service? Yeah, so we're doing both. So, um, you know, if you the person feels comfortable coming in, they're more than welcome to. If not, um, can just connect with the Zoom. Okay, cool. Thank you very much. Um, I'm, I was going to say, what about you, Jeb? You guys will go to the same church. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Well, hey. Thank you so much. Um, thank you, guys. Of course, thank you. All right. Hey, guys, it's Daniel. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We had an amazing time talking with our brother and our sister Jed and Ed Petra. Now on our next episode, we'll be continuing our adventure with Rhoda, which drops in 2021 on January 7th. And trust me, you're not gonna wanna miss this one. Alright, if you haven't already, make sure you are following us on Instagram and Twitter at Confessions of PK and of course on Facebook at Confessions of A. Now, as much as my sister is corny about this, I got to say it. 
love, peace, and chicken grease. We're doing it big, baby. <laughs>